0: To the the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast, coming to you from Vero Beach, Florida, and Marion, Massachusetts. Hosted by Ed Chenefe, this is the podcast that researches and investigates the club management and facilities side of our business.
1: Hello. Welcome to the the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm Ed Shanafee, your host, and each time we take to the air, it's indeed a pleasure to bring you the news and the views from the private members' club industry. Imagine having only four and a half years of experience in hospitality and then, after an eight-month search, landing the club manager role at Winged Foot, perhaps the most storied golf club in our nation. Yes, he started at 32, and when the president asked him, aren't you a little young for this job? Colin Burns replied, It's not a permanent condition. Yeah, he watched five years of work and all that planning and logistics in running a U.S. Open, only to have that tournament unable to host a spectator. Colin Burdens, who just retired from his long-serving role as general manager at Wingfoot, had to deal with a club that really wanted to host that U.S. Open, with or without spectators. He worked with the governor, and in the end, they held the tournament without a spectator on the course. Now, at one of the leading search firms, GGA, Colin takes us into the executive search firm within the private members club industry. He he says every club has a culture that is different from another, and adapting to that cultural fit for both the search committee and the executive search, along with membership, is key to finding the right candidate. If you want a quality organization, you do things with people, not to them, he says. Colin lives by this model in all that he does. And what's truly refreshing, Colin understands the entire country club business as he should after so many years at probably one of the leading clubs in America. Colin understands that the hierarchy of a private members club staff doesn't always equate to salary levels. The director of tennis or golf or squash, or even agronomy may indeed be the highest paid member of staff at many clubs. And what's more than a base compensation? What's more important? Housing's at the top of Colin's list to all about housing. And finally, Apogee means zenith, the highest point of development. And Colin's new project is certainly a zenith and a highlight of physical land development and a highlight of his continuing career. Originally named the CEO for an incredible project, now senior advisor, Colin is truly excited about Apogee. Three golf courses, Gil Hance, Jim Wagner, Mike Davis and Tom Fazio, and Kyle Phillips, leading up the third one. With financial backing, Dolphins owner, Steve Ross. Colin takes us through those plans and the vastness of this incredible project. But before I bring Colin on the line, I'd like to remind our listeners to visit our website at beyondthebaselines.com where you can see all that we can do for your tennis, golf, country club, or private facility. But now, without any further ado, here's the gent who said youth was not a permanent condition. He's now one of the most experienced and probably one of the best club managers in our nation. Here's Colin Burns. Hey, folks, welcome to the the BeyondTheBaselines.com podcast. I'm here with Colin Burns, who was the general manager at uh, the illustrious Winged Foot, seven U.S. Opens. That's an amazing record, seven U.S. Opens. Welcome, Colin. How are you? And great to have
2: you here. Thanks for having me. What a thrill it is. you know, it's it's as you said earlier. We were talking offline. We have so many mutual friends, and so uh, it's a pleasure to be uh, with you today.
1: Well, thanks. Um, I was just looking at the history of Wingfoot Seven U.S. Opens. You were there. Um, I just see that they've announced the 2028 U.S. Open is going to be at Wingfoot. i um, obviously you were part of those discussions. You saw Bryson DeChambeau in the middle of COVID win it there. I think it was with no one around, right? Um, kind of an odd tournament. Take us through how you got to Wingfoot, how you dealt with all those U.S. Open tournaments. Uh, we want to hear your story. Take us through the how you got into club management.
2: Well, you know, and thank you for asking about sort of the journey because it really was interesting when you think about it. I And I do. I, I, I look back on it often and think, how did I end up at Wingfoot? You know, I never even considered uh, club management. Um, My family owned a restaurant um, in Clifton, New Jersey, where uh, Bruce Willis, who's now suffering terribly, uh, worked uh, for four years. Uh, we had a line of um, future unemployed actors and actresses that walked down the hill from Montclair State where Bruce was. And so I grew up in the restaurant business, Four Brothers, a uh, very successful establishment. And we were members at North Jersey, Hackensack, Glen Ridge. My father was an avid golfer, never even considered it. Long story short, I end up in Atlantic City where a cousin of mine was uh, doing a lot of um uh, casino licensing work uh, it was brand new resorts international i just come online uh, i work i end up at the claridge i start working with a gentleman named uh, tony darrow tony darrow you would know from goodfellas um famous scene where joe pesci breaks the bottle over his head um, very again i'll try to shorten this up um tony darrow does at the time, <laughs> was doing a lot of work at planned Home country club this fabulous place where i'm still in touch with all the guys um in manhasset long island we used to refer to it as the knights of columbus with the golf course it was the the greatest group of guys who knew they really knew how to have fun and uh, so tony darrow did a celebrity tournament one day he calls me up i'm, I'm i worked in atlantic city with him for four days there's a club job available at a place called plandome i said tony i never even thought about it and at 28 years old i was hired as the GA, the general manager at plandome country club and ed it was the best first job you could ever have. When I tell you, it was it was joyous. They loved the club. Wall Street was booming. Um, and what year was this? What year? Give us a so year. I, I, I got there in nineteen eighty-seven. Okay, so I was there for four and a half years, and fortunately, you know, I would made some contacts um, within the club community. Some of them at Wingfoot Golf Club, and so um, I uh, somebody told me about the the Wingfoot job was available. I applied and I applied in uh, March of 91 and I finally was able to land the job in October of 91. So it was a long process. I think they were they were very skeptical of a guy who was uh, so young at the time. I was 32 Mm -hmm. years old. And it's funny. I remember telling the uh, uh, the club president at the time, you know, he expressed some concern about my age. He said, aren't you a little young for the job? And I said, you know what? This is not a permanent condition. I said if you give me, I said if you give me enough time, I won't be that young. And so uh, anyway, it was it was just a, a fabulous thirty-one years. You know, you mentioned the the, the majors uh, that were held while I was there. So the nineteen ninety-seven PGA Championship, two thousand and six U.S. Open, and the twenty twenty U.S. Open, the four ball championship, and then the um, two thousand sixteen, I'm sorry, the t- two thousand four U.S. Amateur, and the 2016 Four ball championship. Um, And they were each one of them was so unique. Each one of them had different demands. Um, And naturally, 2020 will be remembered for the U.S. Open without any spectators. Um, So imagine we had planned five years, worked very hard at getting the logistics right, uh, making sure the member experience is exactly what we wanted it to be. Uh, We had the logistics, I think, down pat. I mean, we were really very prepared. And then March 13th, we were on a call covid was happening i mean the epicenter was just four miles away you knew rochelle right Right. across from Yep. and so uh we made we made a a call at that point to not start building the tents because we knew we would end up basically with a ghost city of tents and dead turf and so we pulled the plug on it and then we went back to the governor's office and continued to submit plans that we thought would be acceptable so we had our eye on the memorial. We wanted to see what they were doing. You know, we were talking uh, indirectly with the folks at Augusta National, uh, wanting to know where they were going to schedule the Masters. And so we, f- it was like this, this, this puzzle we were trying to put together, but we didn't know exactly where all the pieces were. And eventually, we got the pieces together, and we were offered the September date, and we took it immediately. I think we would have taken a January date if it was offered. I mean, we wanted to, we wanted to host that U.S. Open,
1: right? It- you know it's a special time I, I i as you were just talking about that i remember how golf to me on the tv changed because you could see the courses you could see the design right there's there's de coming up the 18th there was you could see the clubhouse normally you have tents i mean you can see parts of the clubhouse but you could see the whole course as it was designed to be seen did that make a what and tell us what you thought about that
2: that's so fascinating so, the calls that we were receiving from around the world, friends who were in everywhere from South Africa to Japan, wherever it was saying, oh my gosh, we never realized how beautiful the club, you know, people who had not been there, people who had right. only seen television. And, and for us, it was it was really, uh, I mean, it was a magnificent pre- presentation. Uh, NBC naturally did a, it did a great job, but being able to view the clubhouse, the grounds, the design, the A.W. Tillinghast, you know, designs where exactly the shape of the holes, uh, you could see the, the, you know, the the greens properly. Um, but what's interesting that that sort of had not sort of it had a direct impact on future U.S. Open hosts who said to me um, and, you know, some of them, the Shinnecocks and, and others mm-hmm. they said, oh, we want one of those. <laughs> well, one of those is OK, except financially uh, it doesn't quite work out as well. That's when right. you have spectators, but it really did show it showcased the club like like never before since since that first opened perhaps in in twenty nine when there were no tenants. You know, I and and speaking about the history of
1: golf at Wingfoot, I I did a little research before I got online with you. And your head golf pro won the Masters in nineteen forty eight. I I wanted to, to tell our listeners how rare that would be i mean we we we. i, I forget his name but we had a, a gentleman at the masters who was a, a a teaching pro who got pretty far i think this year um but to have your golf pro at wing foot win the masters in 1948 and then host a, a u.s open without spectators in in tw- was it 2020 it, it, it was like going back in history wasn't it
2: it really was i mean we we were and And, by the way, it would have been nice to have some people, right? But but we just couldn't. That was the mandate from the governor's office. and we accepted it. Um, we had four hundred and fifty member volunteers. Um, um and it was very strict at, you know, the 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 COVID protocols at that point were at their very height. That's right. Uh, we had to set up a testing center over by um in, for, in Westchester county, um and um so we had to at Rye Plainland. So we had to have a testing center outside. Everyone who was going to be on property had to get that initial test, and then other persons had to be tested on a daily basis uh, inside the clubhouse. Which was really interesting was that there was no caddies, no managers, no family. So there were maybe a dozen employees and all the players. This this gorgeous you know uh, clubhouse, six hundred lockers, and so there we were having breakfast with 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 Adam Scott. And sitting, having lunch with Matt Fitzpatrick, because there was, you know, there were only a few of us, handful of us that were permitted in the clubhouse. We had all we were being tested regularly. And um, so the whole thing is really very surreal. But I think one of the lessons, you know, I was at the National Club Association at a conference uh, two Mondays ago. And one of the things we talked about was was you. Know, so what was that? So what was the underlying message of of, of moving from from June to September? Right, I mean, it was much much more than scheduling. It was about cooperation. It really was about teamwork. When you think about us, the USJ, all the vendors involved, having to unwind, 40, refunding forty five thousand tickets, okay. refunding all the member tickets, the hotel rooms, the parking lots, and all of it being done in such good spirit, and there was never a time where we where we prioritized golf over the safety, and, and 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 frankly, in terms of context, what was going on around us. I mean, the ambulance. Ambulances were going nonstop. You're watching the news every night. You're seeing the, these horrific scenes of hospitals and and refrigerated eighteen wheelers and body bags, and you're oh. thinking, you know what? Okay, let's let's remember it's just golf. And and so with that in mind, we worked very cooperatively with the USGA, John Bodenhammer, uh, who's still with the USGA, thankfully, and it just and it all worked out. Hey, you know, golf kept us sane.
1: You know, watching those watching those tournaments because we could be outside. It, you <laughs> know, tennis really stopped, but golf continued for the most part. And it kept us saying you were part of that. And it, it was a special U.S. Open. We'll never forget it. Never.
2: Well, thank you. You know, it, it's funny. That was one of the motivating factors is that we kept saying, you know, and this may sound a little bit, I don't know, sort of um, uh, faux patriotic, but it, it's, it's not meant to be we really felt that that america needed these outdoor sports right we needed the nfl to resume we needed golf to continue and you know that's one of the things you know if, if you're an industry insider i think you really appreciated the value that golf brought not just watching but playing during that covid period and when you you think about it i mean the the the, the sanity that it brought to people the the mental health that it brought to people right. i mean we we were as busy as we've ever been I mean, families, you know, we had, we turned, it's funny, we turned the terrace into what looked almost like a drive up, uh, like a McDonald's of sorts. You know, you had, you come to one window, you had to stay outside. And so you'd come up to one window at the grill room, you'd get drinks, another window, you got food. But we we were constantly evolving, changing. Communications became, we became, and that's why Caroline Asuma, who who hopefully we'll get to at some point, we John, we will. Well. our dear friend and colleague at Waka um, we became experts at communication it was every day it was texting it was the private instagram accounts it was videos you know we started doing these these homemade videos right. that the members absolutely loved i mean i'd never gotten responses like that because we had you know, the, the the protocols were changing quickly what's going on with the open what's going on with, with 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 the club itself and that's that's the key right you're still running a club so you right. know you have a us open over here and then you have a club that you're trying to run and doing all that with covid protocols you know constantly changing
0: At Beyond the Baselines, we have over 25 years of experience with management of private members clubs and boutique resorts. Whether it's finding the inefficiencies caused by the blurring of roles between management and board governance, managing a single department, or educating and mentoring a key employee, we have served the private members club industry like no other consultancy since 2007. Partnering with club governing bodies and working alongside management, we bring a team of highly specialized and experienced associates for that personal touch and hands-on management style to achieve long-term goals with short-term results. At Beyond the Baselines, we understand the traditions and importance of membership, but history and connections to a bygone era shouldn't inhibit growth. In fact, we believe they can be a catalyst for change. So please visit our website at beyondthebaselines.com or give us a call at 508-538-1288. That's 508-538-1288. 88.
1: Hey, you bring up John Asuma. Uh, We'll talk briefly about John. You know, I grew up at Waka Buck. John's been there 30, 32, 34. I don't want to say how many years. Um, You look at the other other uh, GMs in your area, Guy uh, D'Ambrosio and Stanwich, And and for example, I work for um, Bill Roman up at Eggertown Yacht Club. You guys are all over 30 to 35 years. And I look, you're at Wingfoot for 31. I look at the jobs board now at CMA, and I see three big clubs. I see, you know, the Yale Club in New York City, uh, GM. I see the director of food and beverage at Cherokee Town and Country Club. And I see the director up at Sable, uh that beautiful club up in the Adirondacks.
2: Sure.
1: Has it changed? I mean, are we going to see GMs for the next 30 years? Are, are, are people staying? Is it a generational shift or are people just moving on faster? What what the what, what, do you, what do you think?
2: Such a good question. You know, I, I don't know if we'll ever see, you know, and there's, there's such a long list of people. There's, you know, there, there's Kevin Vitale, there's Nick Sidorkas. They I mean, go down the list of people, Bob Cassara over at gill I mean, you know, the, the deep commitment that, that we made to the industry, um, you know, we all took it very, very personally. And, and we became very attached to to our clubs and it wasn't sort of the thing. Once you, once you had a job like a Wingfoot or or a congressional or or you know wherever Baltus role, mm-hmm. you didn't leave those jobs and you didn't leave them for a, a few reasons. One was that you just you really became you you hope that you'd become part of the culture, part of the family, um, and 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 each year, especially at the big clubs, brings a new challenge. Right? People say, "How did you last?" Well, it was thirty-one years. wasn't hard when you throw in three major championships, two other championships. Hundred million dollars in capital projects. I and mean, go down a list of things. So my job was always evolving. Um, you know, will we, we'll, will you know? It, that's such a great question. Will people like myself stay at clubs, you know, for thirty-one years? I think one of the reasons why why they won't edit it, it's definitely generational. Uh, and I think I think frankly, you know, guys, men and women in this industry recognize that when you make a move every ten years or so, um, you know, you, you you increase your compensation, and that's that's mm-hmm. just a fact. And so um, that's one of those reasons why you know people may move more frequently, recognizing that, that there's not as much talent as there used to be out there. You think about all the like all the all the people like myself who are raised in either the hospitality, hotel, resort industry. A lot of a lot of people are not going into that industry, as, as we've seen with the shortages for staffing at all kinds of levels um and and so i i just uh, so i could i could see this i can see people changing jobs more frequently in the future i i think you're right
1: um i i i have to say i think it's a generational thing where people not so much more about the compensation of it i i don't know if I, I hate to say this but i don't know if we as as employees have the same um Loyalty, long term, as, as as maybe you and I have had, um, and and members feel that you know um, I won't say too much, but there's been a time where I've been pulled away from a a job recently, and a couple of members came up and said, "Well, long long gone are the days where the director of tennis or the director of golf stayed for 25 years," and um, you know those those members know where you have been and where where I've been. And, and hoped that we would be there longer um, do you think it how can I put this do you, do you think do you think it could change back or do you think it will get faster and faster and that you will see GMs moving on a bit more than than the membership would like
2: well you know I, I think unfortunately it probably will continue uh maybe not look if, if, here's here's some context I mean there was a period when 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 the 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 expectancy for a club manager GM was you know two and a half or three years, so I think I think that's been extended, which is really good news. And that was a function, by the way, probably of a poor governance, poor search process, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and so I don't know if that was necessarily, you know, as a result of managers moving on per se because they were looking for other opportunities. And I'm, I'm I mean I remember seeing this the statistics from CMAA several years ago. And I saw it was two and a half or three years. He said, boy, it's like being in the NFL. I mean, you're, you know, your life expectancy is really short. Um, but but I, I just don't, you know, to your point, and I, I just don't know if there's that, that true sense of, of, you know, loyalty community that that we felt. I mean, there was, you know, I never missed going to a, a funeral mass. I never missed going to, a, to, to a, a funeral, you know, repast at the club or, or, or some other place. Um, and, and that was, those things were very near and dear to me, uh, seeing people, seeing the, the, the cycle of their lives, uh, seeing their, you know, children born and then grandchildren and weddings. And, you know, that was all, and maybe, maybe it's just, you know, being sentimental and, and being, you know, so, um, enamored with the hospitality industry that I just found myself just in love with, with where I was.
1: You know, uh, you bring up a point there, and and I'd like to ask you. As a GM for thirty one years, you, you ran these major tournaments, and I saw, uh, Katanzic Club, which is up in Massachusetts, where I, I'm up in the summer. Wonderful club, top hundred courses in the in the country. Um, they had a a situation where they had, I guess, it was the U.S. Senior Amateur, and the course had to close. And I heard things at the Country Club this this year where the members were disgruntled uh because the u.s open closed the course how do you multitask when you're running a big or not running but getting ready to host a major tournament like that how do you as a gm multitask the membership because they're the people paying for that annual that annual uh, right to play on that golf course multitask and member service uh, them and then also deal with the GA
2: or the you know,
1: Royal and Ancient, whoever those
2: associations are that you have to deal with. How do you do that? Well, you know, I, I think Ed, one of the keys is never never forgetting that the member experience is what it's all about. You know, I would force myself to leave the office because I I never felt comfortable being away from being, quote, on the floor, right? I wanted to be at that front door. I wanted to greet guests, members. I wanted to walk the group room, walk the locker room. That was my You know, of that was my MO and and the same the same rule, I think, applies to hosting a U.S. Open. When we developed for 2020, we developed the four pillars of success for the U.S. Open. One of them was the member experience, because without the member experience being exceptional, odds are you may not host another U.S. Open, because as as great a venue as Winkford is. And and, and so the other four pillars were obviously I just let me get to them, the player experience, um, the fan experience. Um, or the patrons, as they call them, at, at our revered Augusta National, and mm-hmm. the community um, experience, and for and so we had we had set it up so that we had people basically um, in charge of those particular pillars of success, and we were we were deeply committed to making sure that the member experience um, during the U.S. Open was as good as as it as it is on it on a daily basis. Now. Um, I think the key to all of this, and again, I spoke about this at the National Club Association Conference, um, is, is transparent, accurate, timely communication. All right? You have to be you have to tell people, the members, what to expect. Here's what's going to happen. And by the way, here's why we're hosting a US Open. Right? This isn't just we're doing this to do it. Here's why we're doing it. In Wingfoot's case, it was because the club committed in 1929, the youngest club to ever host. Um, a U.S. Open, by the way, right? The club opens in twenty-three. It gets the invite in twenty-six. Hosts it in twenty-nine. And just as an aside, I've seen that contract, um, and it was—I don't think it would have taken an entire page, uh, <laughs> maybe half a page. Um, and then, and then I—and I, it's funny—I use that as sort of a juxtapositioning to to what you get now uh, when you're hosting, you know, a contract, and when you're hosting a major event, and it's a, remarkably different. Um, but I think I think that the the, the member experience. Um, is 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 in a sense controlled by um a high level of communication the more again it has to be accurate you need to answer questions before they're asked I mean this is you know if I could, if I could coach any young managers you know people who are newer in the industry communicate and 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 almost like in in the in the Godfather you know bad news you know you need to deliver the bad news quickly and that's how you need to treat boards and members if there's something that's that's not you think to their satisfaction, you need to let them know and you need to let them know quickly. Um and you need to explain things. I think you know, too often people don't want to explain things. Here's why we're hosting an open. Here's the benefits to the club. Uh, here's the benefit to the USJ and their mission in the in the promotion of the game of golf. And so that's that was our approach. Um, and look, there is a you know the members have to have to give up the club for a week, two weeks. By the way, it's almost never as long as they say that it is um you know in terms of how much they lost, you know. Um, right. And they look at they say but, lost. I've lost a summer. You know, they'll say yeah, that. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm a little bit I'm a little bit um, um, not as sympathetic, perhaps, because they benefit from it. And when they join a club like Wingfoot, mm-hmm. um, and, and Marion and Oakmont go down the list, Baltimore, you know, you're going to host a major championship at some point. That's one of the reasons why you join. So you can't begrudge the fact that the club is hosting one right. when, in fact, that's that's the club you joined.
1: Now you're on the other side. Now you're at, at GGA um, Partners and, and you're running executive searches for general managers. Um, why is it that searches for GMs – and I, this is a question I, I always ask myself. Why is it so important that a GM candidate has gone through a clubhouse renovation? You know what I'm getting at. It's It's always a question like, have you ever done a renovation of a golf course? Have you ever done a renovation of a clubhouse? Why is that such an important criteria for a, a GM candidate?
2: Well, you know, it's a good question. I'm not sure exactly why it is that important. Um, I, I think that, you know, the reason it comes up, again, questioning whether or not it should rise to that level of importance. I think the reason it comes up is, as you and I both know, there's there's so much activity going on at clubs. I mean, clubs are just, you know, it's it's almost like an arms race now in terms of, you know renovations that are being done. I mean, you look at you know Peacock and Lewis and 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 and, and the others. You know um, that that are out there doing work. Whether it's Hart, howerton I mean, it's just you know it's amazing. Uh, I think clubs were, were were very concerned pre-COVID, and all of a sudden COVID happened, and it's let's renovate. Um, and so I think so so I think boards want a certain comfort level, knowing that from a project management perspective that they can you know, keep their eye on the number that they can understand the budgeting process. You know, I don't think anyone's expecting a, a new GM to be a, a project manager, but I think they need to, the board needs to be comfortable knowing that they can uh, work with the contractors, understand the budgets under understanding how to manage that, that budget. Um, so I think that's probably why it comes up. Ed. It's just, there's, there's so much going on. You know, go, going back
1: to the search process, because Colin, you you're, you're, you're... You you you're on both sides of the aisle, as they say in politics. What are the biggest mistakes you've seen the search committee has made when they're doing a search for a GM or or, a, or department head, food and beverage head, which is you know such an important key revenue part of a country club? What are the what are the top two or three mistakes you've seen a search committee make?
2: Well, I, I think Ed, probably the number one mistake is is not understanding cultural fit. And, you know, you say you, you use the term cultural fit and and I, I guess at some level it could have some type of negative connotation. And, and, and when I say it, there's certainly nothing sort of pejorative about it. It's meant that to say that every club has a culture and and for and, and I can tell you from experience, we, we in fact, um, over the years at Wingfoot and not to go into specifics, but we made some we made some bad hires. and And, and I would say if you needed to narrow it down. Uh, it was cultural fit. They just they were they were not in tune with with the way Wingfoot operates um, from sort of a philosophical perspective, uh, from a cultural perspective. Again, meaning the traditions, the etiquette, um, um, the, the the values. So I think that's probably the biggest mistake. Now, why is that mistake made? Well, the, the mistake is made because the search process and look for years before professional search companies were as evolved as they are now. You know, a House Committee would hire somebody. Oh, you know, seemed like a nice guy. And Ed said he's a great guy. And you know, let's go hire him. And and I'm hoping now, particularly as I work with GJ that that clubs who who we approach appreciate the fact that I've been on both sides, and that and that I I, I you know take a, a very serious um, approach when it comes to making sure somebody is placed in the right environment. Because you know, you can take somebody who's who's very qualified and put them in the wrong environment. And you, I mean, you look, you, you, you know, this as well as I do, mm-hmm. you put them in the wrong environment and they fail, not because they're not qualified, but because they just weren't, they just weren't a fit for that particular club. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that needs to be sussed out during the interview process is making sure that, that they're comfortable, um, making sure they sort of get the club and and its values, its traditions uh, what makes it tick. So I think that would probably be my, you know, uh, number, my, one. number one. Yeah the the flip side of that is and and I'm
1: just playing devil's advocate here is that you know you you go you, the environment of a winged foot or the environment of a big club that that you may be hiring for they're going to pull from a similar environment so that the the candidate pool tends to get smaller and smaller and it it's more and more difficult to find someone in that small candidate pool, don't you think? Because if if the environment is so important and 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 I don't know, I think you're dead right that candidates uh, don't fit uh, some environments. And I think search committees don't understand always what they're a part of. You know, they don't understand that th- this is a, a wonderful club or this is a, a fantastic opportunity for someone. But that candidate pool may get smaller and smaller. And and, and, and that's a that's a tough that's a tough road to hoe for a search search firm.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the things it was funny, we were we were on the call uh, with a with a very prominent U.S. club um, a, a couple of weeks ago. And we asked the question, would you be willing to um, um, consider somebody who has not been in the GMC um, or maybe they've been a, a, a clubhouse or a club manager at a very big high profile club? And it's funny they actually came back with 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 a positive response well, it wouldn't be their first choice. They would not exclude it, and I think that's part of of you know of 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 deepening that talent pool is maybe looking beyond uh, you know the people who you would normally look at and say, okay, maybe we'll give. But again, that's a and I understand as they say in business, right? I mean, you never go wrong with a white shirt, you know. So so you know you, you don't. It, it's easy to not make mistakes, but but it's also you know there's there's potential out there. And here's the other thing, Ed, that I think that the, the industry is going to be looking at. You're going to be seeing a lot more women. You're going to be seeing a lot, you're going to be seeing a lot of Latinas uh, in the club management industry. Um, I've worked with some who are absolutely phenomenal, elegant, smart, bilingual. They get it, They've run their households, they have children, They have all of those things that make them a really smart, well-rounded person. And, and some of them have gone on to very some very good jobs. And I think that's the other way of of deepening, if you will, that pool is looking to, you know, the club that would normally, oh, we wouldn't even consider having a female. Well, they're going to consider that now because I think they have. And then, by the way, they should. I mean, that's just just a a fact. Right. I mean, in terms of diversity um, and, and, and just reality. And so I think that's that's part of this sort of new age of who's going to be running clubs. I mean, I remember the day when it was they were all German hoteliers. You know, I'm talking when I was really, you know, starting out, um, however many years ago that was. So you're saying the GMs of the clubs were all German hoteliers. They were all hoteliers. They were all, and they were, um, they, in in those days are long gone. So now what's next? What's next or, or, you know, this, this younger, hopefully female and, 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 and and culturally diverse. You know, I, I always think of hotels and restaurants
1: are in hospitality and, and, and the, and the pool can get bigger there. The other place I always, you know, I always say to my clubs that when they come up and say, Hey, we got to get this pool bigger advertising firms, it's always a client. You know, you're always working for a client. That client can call at midnight. You have to answer, you know, you're big money. And so I've done that. I've moved from advertising to the club business. I've seen other people do it. Um, And I think that marketing advertising it's not hospitality, but you obviously always have a client. And when a, when someone tees off in that first hole, they're a client. They own the company. They, they're a client of yours as a as a staff member.
2: There, there's, no, there's no question. You know, um, you know there's no, <laughs> excuse me. That's okay. I was talking to someone the other day about AI and just, you know, and I'm a big fan of chat GBT and I, I use it. Just to help guide me a little bit when I'm I'm just thinking out loud about something, and it's 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 I find it fascinating. But there's certain things that AI will never be able to do, right? And they'll never be able to service that client. They'll never be able to stand at that front door and say, "Ed, how are you? Nice to have you here. It's good to see you." You know, as as uh, somebody said to me, the, "The AI can't change your flat tire. It can't fix your plumbing, <laughs> right?" So all these things that that are now going to be of even greater value. And one of those things is hospitality. I mean, hospitality makes us as a society better, right? It makes us better human beings. When somebody stands there smiling and saying, Ed, nice to have you here. I'm glad you came. Thanks for stopping by. I mean, there's just something about what that does to the soul, right? The way it touches the soul when you're, you're having a meal and somebody comes over and they check on you. There's just something about that that's, that's irreplaceable. Best directors of golf and the best
1: directors of tennis and, and you know, that's my side of this business. Yeah, not so much yeah. not so much the GM side, but I've heard Pied Piper, I've heard the happy clown. Yeah. Front and center, personable, whoever it may be, uh they, they don't have to be the greatest instructor, but if they entertain you and and they treat you as a as a client and as a member, they're gonna yeah. go a long way in this business.
2: And I agree hundred percent.
0: Beyond the Baselines is the leading executive search firm for private members' clubs and boutique resorts. From the kitchens to the courts, the practice tees to the waterfront, Beyond the Baselines is your partner to find the best-in-class employees for your club, facility, or resort. Whether you are a member-owned club or a corporate hotel entity, we are the specialists for you in elite hospitality. It's not just the members that should feel loyalty to their club, it's the sense of loyalty combined with the pride of offering superior service and hospitality in every worker that makes a good club that much better. So find that right candidate with us today. Call us today at 508-538-1288 that's 508 538 1288 or visit us on the web at beyondthebaselines.com
1: hey, how do we get i know you have to do this all the time with 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 gga and search, searches how do we is there a way we can regulate compensation packages better i mean it's different from club to club department to department head it's different you know if you if you look at the, the at, at, at the salaries of GMs from club to club, they vary so much, and the bonus structure is so different. Can we ever regulate that?
2: You know, I guess regulation is is um, is a loaded word, right? Um, but but you know, it, you know, I, it's funny. Um, I mean, I've looked at compensation packages. Uh, GGA does compensation surveys. I work with club benchmarking quite a bit. Um, and that was what's funny. That was one of the things that at Wingfoot, as we became sort of more sophisticated in terms of governance and and just and, and management. Was you know uh, was understanding the marketplace, and and you know so a, cl- a, a company like GGA doing a compensation survey or a club benchmarking very helpful to to because you you don't want from I'll put on my sort of the governance hat is you you don't want to be paying Colin or Ed way beyond the market right because that's 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 just not it's not healthy, uh, and the other thing is you don't want to be that far behind the market where where you're not going to attract anyone. And, and and you know, I think one of the things that that clubs I think need to look at as well when they're when they're doing compensation is the value of housing, success bonuses, stay bonuses, um you know, retention bonuses of some form. I think for years it was always just you know, here's base compensation um bonuses by the way, all over the place, right? It could either be put your finger up to the wind and did Ed do a good job this year or there's some measurable objectives uh, and even those get a little bit, you know, Th- those those can always they're be subjective. They're, they're subjective. They get a little bit sloppy. But, you know, I I think I so look the, the the bottom line in terms of devices, knowing your market, knowing knowing sort of what you need to pay and, and the level of responsibility. I mean, there's there's, you know, clearly there's a difference between and then I'm not saying that the manager is any better or worse at a wing foot versus. A, a more local club like an Applewamus or a Waikagil, but clearly the, the level of responsibility is much greater at a bigger club, at a Baltus wall, at a Congressional, at a Wingfoot, um, and and um, I think clubs just need to do a better job of understanding their market, what they need to pay, what they should pay. And by the way, sometimes sometimes it's 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 it's, it's the director of of, of turf care. Um, we used to call them ground superintendents. Now they're everyone's a director right. now, yeah. you know. So um, and, 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 and is it OK if they get paid more than the GM? Well, in certain cases, they probably should be. I mean, if that's the brand and they're killing themselves seven days a week. Look, I'm the first one to recognize a guy like Steve Rabidu who's at Wingfoot now, who absolutely. I mean, there are few people in the country. There's Paul Latchaw, there's you know Junior, there's a few Paul Latchaw seniors, one of the guys I idolized. Um, but they deserve those guys deserve every penny that they get. I mean, they don't. You know, they can't take a break. They can't do what, you know. When I can say this because I was, you know, I did it long enough. You know, GM can take a break. We can we can close the office door for a little bit. We can we can gather our thoughts. You know, the typical director of golf course operations. You know, the golf course superintendent. They don't get a break. And the you know, grass keeps growing. Grass keeps growing. Chemical chemical application uh, allowances keep changing. Right, what comes off market? Uh, what's what's now regulated. Um, The weather, I mean, think about think about this year, nine, nine rainy weekends in a row. Um, And Mm -hmm. so, you know, and and by the way, if if a GM isn't comfortable with that, I think they really need to look long and hard at themselves because it shouldn't just be symbolic. Oh, I need to be paid more because. Well, no, that's that's to me. That's not an answer. You know, you get paid to do your job. Ed gets paid to do his job. And if Ed's job is in some ways more important than my job, then he should be compensated for that. I have several times
1: educated boards and said hey you know the director of squash now i found something out in the last 3 years running a squash club that squash squash professionals make a lot more money than tennis pros and yeah. and, and 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 oftentimes make more money than the golf pro um right. and in many cases the golf pro or the director of golf is the highest paid employee of a club and a lot of times the the board has difficulty reasoning with that and 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 coming to grips with that but it, it, if you can pitch it as you just did, um, they they'll, they'll come around in the end. But it, it it does. They're a little surprised sometimes when they see that final figure. Um yeah.
2: Yeah. And I I understand that because that's such a traditional mindset. And I think that's a, that's a, you know that you know I think one of the mistakes I think clubs generally make is is the the absence of just good wholesome, earnest communication. Ed, this is why we're doing this. This is why. Colin is a squash pro is we feel his compensation should be here. It's not, it's not a negative reflection on you as the GM, but, but this is just the reality that we're a squash club and, and, you know, and, 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 and that's what makes us, that's our brand. And, and I think that would take a lot of sting out of somebody either just finding out or, 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 or being told, but not being told why, you know, there's a guy named Alfie Cohen, who I who I, I met years ago. He's a Harvard Business Review writer. He's published a few books. And he he said to me, because I picked him up from the airport and dropped him off. He said, Colin, remember we we engaged him to do a, an educational seminar. He said, if you remember nothing else, remember that if you want a quality organization, you do things with, not to people. He said, just remember that. And it, it has stuck, this is 25 years ago, and that has stuck Fantastic. with me. With not to That's them. Too. Hey. It leads me to my next
1: question in a beautiful way. You you're one of the best GMs ever. Okay. You've been, been for 31 years. How do you say no to a member? How do you do it? Do you do it? Do you say, I'm gonna find a way to say yes? No. Um, but if a member comes up and it's something you absolutely cannot do, how do you say no? And and how do you how do you live with that?
2: Well, Ed, you know, that that's one of the, the real difficulties, right? So 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 my rule of thumb is I would have somebody else tell them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> have somebody. I like have, that one. <laughs> have somebody who's your junior tell them, and then then the member comes back to me, and I say, "Oh, Ed didn't know what he was talking about." <laughs> so, you no, know, I mean that. That's one of those. I'm just being silly. Um, I, I think you know. Again, it comes back to be, to being honest with people. Um, if a mistake was made, you need to say, you know, Ed, I, I look, I made a mistake. We thought this room was available for this particular evening, but it's not. And I apologize. Um, but I was I was okay with saying no. I didn't want to say no and I, I wanted to make sure the staff was 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 fully aware of all the happenings at the club so mistakes like that wouldn't be made. Um, but but the mistakes are made and sometimes and that's not quite saying no, but it's it, but it, it's recognizing you know the, the, the sort of bad news scenario. Um, but I think you know my approach with with saying you know, saying no to remember was was there was never it was never because I was saying no. I mean, it was because here's the greater good, right? The great. Right. You know, I'm insisting on having my daughter's wedding on June 15th, and we want the terrace, and we can't do that. The, first of all, the board doesn't allow it. Second of all, it's it's patently unfair for the rest of the membership. And 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 here's how we can try to accommodate you, but I'm sorry, but we just we can't do that. Um, and so it, it's tricky, but I think you can't hide from it. I think you need to to. And again, you're not representing your personal feelings. Cause you'd love to, you'd love to say yes to everyone, but at times, you know, you have to say, you have to say no to Ed so that the other hundred, 200 people who'd be affected um, uh, aren't, aren't, you know, aren't affected by that decision. Um, never easy, but again, own it, um, talk about it, um, you know, be upfront and look, I'll, I'll never forget at Plandome, dome, 1987, 88, whenever it was, we had two, I just gotten there. So it was 87. There were two weddings booked on the same day. On the same day, and I, I'm still in touch with with one of the families, and it was it was really upsetting. I thought I'd lost my job. Um, the previous manager had booked something. He didn't put it in the books. I went and booked something. I got a call from from uh, the mother of the bride of one of the brides from the halfway house, screaming, "You ruined my life!" And I put down the phone and I went, "Dear God, what just happened?" And and, and but the lesson from that was, uh, we managed. We managed. Because people were nice, they were not mean spirited, they understood a mistake was made. We owned the whole thing. We communicated to the entire membership about how we're gonna do one in the afternoon, one in the evening. Um and, and and you, so you did two on the same day. Did two on the same day. It was one of those things. That would be a chapter in a book. I was uh, I was gonna ask you if you're talking to the family that didn't get the wedding date or did get you know, the wedding date. But you know what it is, but we 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 dealt with it as a team, and that's what made you know planned. Home. Again, you know, certainly a, 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 so I, I'd say the quintessential local club where 90% of the members live within a mile, a very homogeneous environment. Um, they understood that a mistake was made and we had to close the entire day. We had to close for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, we had, you know, we all hands. As a matter of fact, I'll never forget the grounds crew, guys from the grounds crew came in and helped us move in between. I mean, because we, were, we, we needed to make this happen. And when you do things, you know, you do things collectively like that, there's something really special about it. And I remember the the woman on there. It's funny. Uh, the, the the mother of the bride was getting out of the car and I'm standing there and I have my tuxedo on. We had polished the floors. We, we'd we rented a grand piano, put it in the lobby. I had somebody playing it. We brought in these huge, huge ferns and palms because I wanted it to just be. This was for the evening wedding. And I heard her saying to her husband, if I see one piece of paper on the ground, she was tough. Yeah. And I was standing there and I'm a little bit thinner than I am now. And I'm in my, I'm in my tuxedo. And she looked up, and she looked around, she saw the piano, she saw the palms, she saw the, the polished, waxed floor. And she said, you know, I love you. And I said, thank you.
1: got so much going on in the air. You have got like five different emails going. So <laughs> tell us, I mean, GGA is a new, n- new, new appointment for you. You're helping them out with searches. But tell me about this Apogee Club in Hope, sound Florida. Hope sounds special to me because I worked at Jupiter Iron Club, and, and I saw this online. And please explain three courses. The designers sound amazing.
2: What, what's going on down there? It is destined to be one of the great golf destinations. I think in the in the country, perhaps in the world. It's imagine a stream song, private, on steroids. It is 1,200 acres, three golf courses, two clubhouses, uh, up to, I, I think, 40 villas, um, a world-class ownership team. Mike Pascucci, Michael Pascucci, the owner of Sabonic, uh, along with Steve Ross uh, from, from related companies, um, mm-hmm. the Miami Dolphins, yep. uh, they came together. They bought this spectacular piece of property, and it's not your typical Florida piece of property. Yet. It has, it, it was never a cow farm or pasture. Um, it has beautiful topography. There's thousands of of oaks. Blue stem was planted everywhere because the prior owner was a hunter, and he hunted pheasants. At one point, he had 40 dogs on the property, and so um, between the pines, the oaks, the the uh, the blue stem that was planted everywhere, and the fact that it abuts the St. Lucie river, literally 4.5 million gallons. Listen to all you superintendents, 4.5 million gallons free water a day to charge the 150 acres of lakes that we've created. Um, It's just, and then you have, so you have Gil Hance, Jim Wagner, Mike Davis, Tom Fazio, and then Kyle Phillips, three completely distinct golf courses. Um, the, 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 the facility has been, the land has been engineered beyond belief. I mean, we've gone through some rainstorms already, not collecting any water. It's, it drains beautifully. All the vertical buildings are being designed by Hart Howerton, uh, Meyer Davis interior designs. I mean, the villas are 3,800 square feet. Um, and, and you know, so Steve a Villa,
0: a no, really. small
2: and European, <laughs> It's bigger than my house, um, and um, and so um, it, it's it's the the team, the ownership. So so Michael Pascucci, the owner of Sabonic, is and one of the founders of the Bears Club, is deeply involved in the golf course side of things. Steve Ross and his team from related all the vertical buildings. And so it's not just there's there's one good element. Every element is just is just world class. Um, I've been representing them. I was actually named as the COO. Uh, right after leaving Wingfoot. But I just, with, with family being here in the Northeast, I just couldn't move down there. And so my wife and I decided we're going to stay here. And so Mr. Pescucci and the team was the ownership team was very um, agreeable. Uh, so now I'm acting as a senior advisor, basically doing um, membership admissions um, and you know, just, just spreading, spreading the word about Apogee. It's really, it's a very special place. I hope when you're down that way, you come visit because it's really, it's, it's, I mean, imagine oh, wow. the, the practice facility is 45 acres, the hitting area, right? The two, so eight hitting bays, deck to deck, it's 400 yards. Oh, That's it big. So even you could hit driver. <laughs> uh, I
1: wish maybe in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My driver goes about 180 now, you know, getting older. Yeah, um, I know, I a so, so, t- t- so it's in Sound and yep. in, in you know, there's a lot of great courses down there. Medalist is there. Uh, yep. you know, MacArthur. Uh, MacArthur, the Jupiter Hills. Yep. Um, how, how do you think of, how do you get the competition? How, how are you going to compete with those guys? I mean, those guys have been there for a while. Is it just so great? Is it, you have to look at the price point for membership? How's that going to work?
2: Well, it's a combination of things. First of all, the demand down there is absolutely um, through the roof. Um there are Emerald Dunes, um, Old Palm. They have long waiting lists, mm-hmm. five and six years. Their price point is basically the same as 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 it is at Apogee, um, and but we have such a collection of amenities that it's almost, um, you know, it, it's hard to deny the fact that this is going to be the superior uh, offering down there. Um, and so I think that's it. Ed. You know, if we didn't see if the ownership group didn't, A, believe in West Palm, which they do. I mean, Steve Ross is is attracting Goldman Sachs, uh, you know, a, a, a fabulous retailers uh, all into that Rosemary Square area, which is just phenomenal if you haven't been down there. Um, that's where his headquarters is in West Palm. Uh, it's just, it's a remarkable area. Uh, they're building out schools, the Pine School, which is sort of like a Hackley-Brunswick Um yeah. That they're helping, uh, they're 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 working with the Pine School to build another school in that area. Um, so there's there's a lot going on there that's that indicates that that West Palm um and that area is is going to continue growing for some time. Now, what's interesting is that is that a lot a lot of people are now staying full time. You right. know? so that's the that's the other thing. So you have a you have so you just add it all up, right? There's wait lists of five and six years, the price point is comparable. People, we've spoken to realtors Ed who have said, We've had clients not buy homes because they couldn't join a club. Correct. Um, yeah, And so, and so it all adds up and, and we've been, we've been very blessed. The first tranche of members um, of the membership um, basically closed out in 10 months. Wow. You can you see, know. I mean, you, you know, I grew up in
1: Jupiter. I didn't grow up. This, I went to yeah. fifth grade there, fifth and sixth grade. My parents yeah. had a house there. And then I worked in Hope Sound. And you can see, you know, Jupiter to Quest is kind of the line of development. And then you're getting into Martin County and there's not a lot there, but you guys are banking on more being there. And oh yeah, I think you're right. I think you can yeah. see how Florida is growing. It's, it's
2: just growing north. It's, it's going yeah. north. It's north um, and west. And it's, it's what well, we were, look, there's nothing left in Palm Beach County. No, no. space. And so, and yes, there are other clubs being built uh, in that area. But we are fortunately, because the relationship both Mr. Ross and Mr. Pascucci have with, with Martin County, they're good citizens. They they you know they do everything they're going to say. The approval process has been has been re- really um, uh, uh, expeditious. I think one of the other things that is that it's not it's not a housing project, so there's no there's no homes for sale. So right. that's a big difference. Right. So Martin County looks at it and they say, well, you're not really you're not increasing the population per se. So we don't have to worry about infrastructure, sewers, roads, all those things, schools. Yeah, they're,
1: they're very careful about Bridge Road, Martin County. I know that because of the history, the history there. They're very careful. Yeah. So um,
2: and and so anyway, so we've been we're, we're, we're doing everything, whether it's moving the gopher tortoises, whether it's you know maintaining the, the the native wetlands. I mean, this is all something that as an ownership group they've taken very seriously. And I think Martin County appreciates that.
1: I will be down there. One of my favorite places is called Harry and the Natives. It's on the corner of Route oh, One and, and the right. bridge, I've been there. Road.
2: I've been <laughs> there. Everyone knows Harry and the Natives. Yeah. I went okay. to you know what? Super super Hogsnapper? Snapper? Hog Snapper,
1: yeah. <laughs> Hog Snapper. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Equestrian. That place is great. I love the question. Tequesta is a cute little town. It hasn't been, you know, Palm Beach County has high rises. Yeah. Whereas where I am in Indian River, Indian River County, we don't. We're, we're three, three stories is as high as we can go. four feet, I think. Um. Yeah. But Martin County doesn't really have much yet. Yeah. And I think it's it, it can be really special if they're if they're careful. If if obviously they love you guys because you're not building 500, 700 homes. Okay. Um. But I think they can be really special because Hope Sound, the beach is really already built up. It's all single family dwelling so they can't really do much there and i think it could be a really special place
2: yeah well it's, it's um, going to be you'll you'll see when you come down and visit it's special
1: i can't wait and and i can't wait to get up to connect now where are you in connecticut up there
2: i'm in Creditch. We're, we're in in glenville which we refer to affectionately as the cheap seats um so we're you know it's not far from port chester it's the first big the first exit as you're going up um, as you're going up, Merritt. up the yeah. Merritt parkway well yeah. i'm gonna come up there and i'm gonna get uh,
1: uh, John Asuma and you and, 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 and me and maybe Matt Asuma, who is now friends of mine because he, he, he saw me in the industry. So I will make sure that we Let's meet that, somewhere please. in Greenwich. Uh, we yeah, will. Yeah. And yeah, cool. Thank you so much, Con, for being here and, and your time and, and, and relating to us all all that you did at Wingfoot, all that you did for the U.S. Open, and all that you're doing now. It's been a fantastic experience. Uh, Uh, podcast episode. I'm really thankful for, for you being here.
2: Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you in Connecticut.
0: Thank you for listening to beyondthebaselines.com podcast. It's a pleasure bringing you each week's news and views and great guests from our tennis, fitness, and country club industries. You can always reach the team here at beyondthebaselines at gmail.com or on the phone at 508-538-1288. Please do visit our website at www.beyondthebaselines.com, which is updated regularly with even more information for you, your club, or your facility. See you again soon.